We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale. It feels good to be back. First and foremost, we once again have to thank everyone who participated in the Corner Rumble, all 30-some-odd people. I want to shout out the winner, producer Cole Bebe, who left it all in the ring or, or studio. The metaphorical ring that day, he is under the weather, weather so he's not here today. Antoine holding it down on the boards. So, shout out to Cole. All of his hard work. It was amazing. We pulled it off. If you guys haven't seen it, check out YouTube, Corner Podcast on YouTube. It's also still live on Twitter, at Corner Podcast underscore. It's, it's a fun four hours. We put the recap of the Royal Rumble out as our podcast on Sunday. So, hopefully you guys heard that. Our thoughts on what went down, what didn't, what should have happened, our grades for the Royal Rumble. It was a wrestling weekend. We had a blast. So thank every guest who joined us. We'll still be putting out clips throughout the week. Some great content, some great quotes from, from that special. Man, I'm feeling good. But it's also good to sit back down. And today we're talking boxing and MMA. Once again, we have Keith Thurman, Mario Barrios on pay-per-view. Yes, pay-per-view. We'll talk about that one. The UFC returns after taking a week off with a fight night card, which we'll give quick predictions for as well before we get out of here at the end of the show. But to start off, Dre, kind of had to rip up the entire opening of the show this week. Because Brian Flores in the NFL, and we've been talking about, uh, I guess, the playoffs. Sorry for your Niners. <laughs> First thing I got to say is uh, farewell, Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh. Before we even get into it, because we're going to talk about Brian Flores. Yes. We'll give the rundown for people who are not aware. Man, what a... I, you know, I'm playing with house money on Sunday, right? Like, we ain't supposed to be there. No. But we're up 10 in the fourth quarter. And... Your hopes are high at this point. My hopes are high. And all I'm thinking is, don't mess up, Jimmy. That, like, I, honestly, that's the only thing I'm thinking. Defense make a stop. Don't mess up, Jimmy. Neither of those things happen. Defense got close to making a stop. Nine this, minutes left in the fourth quarter. Easy interception. Yo, this is a punt. 
<laughs> Stafford threw this as a punt. Yep. To nobody in particular in the middle of the field. Gets dropped. Gets dropped. So I'm like, oh, we're done. That's the first thing. It's over. <laughs> we're, we're, it's over because the internal pessimist came out right oh, away. Oh, yeah. But well, we, if, if you have a team that converts like over 10 third down conversions, you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? And our cornerbacks right. have been getting burned by Cooper Cup all game. OBJ is over 100 yards. Yeah. Wasn't much we can do. First time since like 2019 for OBJ. Yeah. I mean, they were lighting us up on third downs. Yeah. Like, so we had one chance. And that didn't even guarantee us to win. If we would have got that pick, probably still would have been three and out. Yeah. I would have punted. <laughs> Everything went the same. But, uh, but we had all this pressure on us once they, kicked, once they tied the game up. Right? Yep. Yeah. And Garoppolo, the three and out, three pass plays because we couldn't run the ball. But he almost gets picked by Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, which should have been game over. Yeah, to the Pick house, six. game over. Yep. Threw it right to him. He, if you watch that play again, Debo Samuel's standing in the middle of the field by himself. Debo didn't touch the ball the last 12 minutes of the game. That's what pissed me <laughs> off the most. I'm watching You're in your jersey. Yes, I'm watching. Debo Samuel is our MVP. There's no question. It's unquestionably the MVP. You can pick Bosa. You can pick Green. Uh, you can go through our defense, but special teams, but it's Debo Samuel. Yep. The man does not touch the ball. They don't even line him up as a threat to touch the ball. Put him in the backfield. Make them think he's going to touch the ball. Doesn't touch the ball. Garoppolo, three and out. And then on the last series, it was the most disgusting series I have seen from my Niners <laughs> all season. Because Garoppolo was doing nothing in particular. And they just chucked it, got picked, game over. Yeah, I mean. It wasn't a good day. It, it wasn't a good day. We're up by 10. There's flashbacks of the Chiefs Niners Super Bowl all over again. Jimmy all did bad. the same thing. Couldn't hit a receiver. Like, he was trying to get Debo killed the whole game. Yeah. Oh, across the middle, just, just leading throw, him into safeties. You put the ball in his numbers. What are you doing now for the Super Bowl? Uh, I'm still watching it. It's on just, your birthday. Yeah, I'm still watching it. I mean, it's it. not going to be 49ers themed out. Nah. I'm assuming. Nah. It would have been ridiculous. Yeah, my wife was just like, oh, you lost? What do you want to do for your birthday? And, you know, at first I was like, nothing. And it's weird because <laughs> my wife is like, she doesn't get it. Like, she knows my fandom. And she's like, you know, like four or five hours passed and I walked in the room. She's like, you're still sad? I was like, when is this supposed to stop? <laughs> <laughs> my Niners lost. Am I supposed to just get over this shit? <laughs> no, I'm miserable. She, she was like, but you said you guys weren't supposed to be there. But we were winning. It's that better it. if we would have got blown out. <laughs> if we got blown out, I could have turned the game off second quarter and been done with it. Been fine. <laughs> but I knew it. I was like, we're up 10. These playoffs have been absolutely bananas. What are we going to do to blow this? And then the Bengals were in the Super Bowl. So I was really like, oh, we got to win this. We could beat the Bengals. Mm. Theoretically. We, we could beat the Bengals. We have a better chance of beating the Bengals than we would beating the Chiefs. I mean, that's anyone. Yeah, but but Mahomes would have went, went bananas on us again. Yeah. Our secondary. Yeah, yeah. would have been all bad. I mean, Joe Burrow would have went crazy. Eh, so, I mean, eh, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's the same. It would have been ugly. I would have prepared. I would have been, because the Chiefs don't defend the run well. Oh, yeah. No, you could have just right? ran on the Chiefs. But if it turns into a shootout, we lose. Burrow is not going to go off every game. Don't got to. I mean, you don't have to go every game. Just hey, look, three games in a row. Mahomes, Burrow. If Burrow, if if the Chiefs would have won, I wouldn't have wanted to play the Chiefs if I'm the Niners. Because I wouldn't want to see them again because I have flashbacks of two years ago. Yeah. Against the Bengals, I can hope that, hey, maybe the spotlight's too big for Joe Burrow. Maybe he burns up. We have a better chance. Mahomes has been here. 
every year. And I don't, I don't expect him, like, if they were in the Super Bowl, I would expect him to throw for 400 yards on us. Yeah. We'd have to get pressure on him if we didn't. I don't know. Anyway, I don't, I don't know. Super Bowl, I don't, I don't know. I'm just going to watch the game and make fun of the commercials and <laughs> be miserable. Anyway. I feel like I'm in town for Super Bowl weekend. I might just come over to your crib and just watch all the, the highlights of the Rams beating the Niners and drumming up all these emotions inside of you. No, I'm good because I already won a bet, so I'm good with you. Oh, yeah. God, I hate you. Yeah. I forgot about the bet. Of course you don't. <laughs> um, but no, you got the 77-inch TV and all that good stuff. Yes. Yeah, listen, I might have to make a trip to the Hale household. But we started this before your, your miserable weekend. Um, we started this by talking about Brian Flores. And he's he is, he was in the hunt for more head coaching jobs. Previous to this, spent the past couple of years as head coach of Miami Dolphins. Dolphins are a mediocre team by definition. Eight and eight a year ago, which was seen as a great turnaround for who they had. This year, I believe they started one and seven and then just went crazy towards the end of the year. Um, ended up nine and eight to finish the year, winning record, which I don't think anyone saw coming from no. them either. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, the guy doesn't have losing seasons. You can say that, which is pretty good in the NFL with the talent he has. But it comes out, he's not meshing well with the owner. He might not like Tua. He wants to bring uh, Deshaun Watson to Miami. They don't think that's a good idea. They part ways. Fine, whatever. He is now a lead candidate across the NFL. Looks like he just got a second interview in Houston the other day. Looks like he's going to lock up one of the jobs. Then yesterday comes out. More, quick moral of the story. Pay attention to who you're texting. <laughs> you can't just text anything to anybody. Oh my God. Bill Belichick. BB. He's just like, congrats on getting the Giants job. My team, New York football Giants. Brian Flores is like, yo, I interview tomorrow. Turns out he was saying congrats to a different Brian, former assistant Brian Dayball, who's now the head coach of the Giants. But this circumvents the process. Even though we'll talk about the Rooney rule and if combat sports should have a Rooney rule and so on and so forth. But second interview planned. He thought he was still in running. He wasn't. Now he goes to the Houston job. I don't know how that interview went. But you look at a team like the Raiders who had their eye on someone already. They got the coach they want. You're looking around the league. Reports are that, I don't know, Jim Harborough is interviewing in Minnesota, where another finalist is a black candidate, Patrick Graham from the Giants, D corner. You look at all these situations, and you're just like, are these jobs predetermined? We wondered this for years. What does the Rooney rule do? that says you have to interview a minority candidate. What exactly does this help? How many people have been put in spots because of that rule? Then it, this lifts the curtain where it's like, you know what? It's kind of just for show in a lot of these spaces. And then he's continued to talk. A lawsuit wasn't completely open. Filed a lawsuit against the NFL for unjust practices. And against the NFL, the Giants, and the Patriots. Um, specifically, so... Okay, 
he may have something to prove there because Bill Belichick's text message and, and everything else. But then now he goes on ESPN Today, spoke about it yesterday as well, where he says this is a league-wide issue. And this is happening all over the place. And now other coaches are coming forward talking about how they interviewed, but they knew someone else had the job already, so on and so forth. I hear a lot of, like, this can bring down the NFL. Or, like, this is something like, I think it's, like, past that, personally. But it is now opening the talks, and this is where it comes to combat sports and everything else as well that we'll get into in a little while, of is it fair to incentivize the hiring of minorities? Is it fair to go the extra mile? And in the NFL, the talks are giving draft compensation. The the suggestion someone threw out there um, yesterday was, a fourth round, extra fourth round pick if you hire OC or DC who's minority and you get a second round pick if late second compensatory if you hire a head coach that's a minority. Is it fair to incentivize these things? So lots to unpack. So I want to start with some stats and that Jamel Hill had posted them and I was compiling them but she had posted them. Uh, there's been one black team president in 100 years of NFL football. Ooh. One, I can't even name him. Right. There's been one black coach currently in the NFL. You can name him. There has never been a black majority owner. Uh, seven NFL teams have never had a black head coach. My Giants have to be one of them. I've <laughs> never seen a black man head coach. Not even on an interim basis. So No. Patrick Grant might have been head coach on an interim basis. So, so let's, start, let's start with those numbers, right? The NFL is saying that these claims are without merit, right? They're going to do an investigation. But it's like the police investigating themselves on a police brutality case. Mm. If you do an investigation on yourself, you're going to come up and be like, there's nothing wrong here. We've seen nothing. Nothing's going to happen to the NFL. You want to know why? Because the NFL has our attention. Everybody's attention. No matter what happens with this Flores lawsuit, it's not going to bring the NFL down. Ever. The NFL is too big to fail at this point. But the problems are systemic and they're huge. And where we start talking about combat sports and when we, let, let's, let's bring it to this pro wrestling conversation we had recently about diversity, diversity issues. Is there a diversity issue in the NFL? No. Here's no. why. I mean, <laughs> here's, let me explain. Dependent on what you call diversity. Exactly. But is there a representation up top issue? Absolutely. Yeah. But if you just do a blanket statement like, no, there's diversity, because the NFL will be like, no, like over like 60% of our players are black. At least. Right? Minimum. Right? Minimum. Yeah. So that argument goes up in smoke. The problem is, just like the problem in pro wrestling, is the decision makers, head coaches, ownership, is not diverse. They're not black. Just like I said, the argument is, it's not diversity. The argument is, we want a black male in the main event picture. You have to be very specific with what you want. We want black head coaches. It doesn't make any sense that seven teams have never had a, a black head coach. Seven? Yeah. But you have 70% black players. Right. So you're telling me that those 70% black players are not smart enough to be a head coach? Because that's what you're telling me. Because before this, the black quarterback was the issue. Because yeah. it wasn't smart enough to play under center. Now that we've seen black quarterbacks are not an issue anymore as much. Right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely, like, a topic that's gone by the wayside. Right. It's not, it's not as big as an issue as it was a while ago. Correct. 
But no matter how many end racism logos you put on the back of helmets, no matter how many equalities things you put in the end zone, no matter how many black people you put in the halftime show, the top is still the problem. Yeah. The sweet level is where it's not diverse. Where you see the owners high-fiving each other, there's never a black person in that room. Very, very few and far between. Right. I think the Jaguars just hired Adrian Wilson as a GM. And it's like... One black man. One. One. So incentivizing, it shouldn't be necessary, right, to incentivize. Because now, now when you do that, it still seems disingenuous. Because the only reason now that they're doing it is because they get something out of it. When the, the, what but you force it's changed. But does it really force change? Because, like, for instance, affirmative action wasn't created for black people. Affirmative action benefited white women more than it did any other minority, right? So does that really create change? Not really, because you still have this issue. Because what happens is when you start hiring black coaches, there's going to be one white coach that's going to say, I didn't get hired because of this rule. And there's going to be people that believe them. And that's a problem. Because to suggest that black people are not fit to be head coaches, to suggest that black people are not fit to be owners, to blackball Colin Kaepernick out of the league because he spoke out about racial injustice, which is now something you have adopted and put on logos, and that man still doesn't have a job. The problem's bigger than that. The problem's bigger than incentivizing anybody. The problem is seeing, like, pro wrestling, the concept of pro wrestling is seeing the world through Vince McMahon's eyes. It's an audience of one. Yeah. He stereotypes. He, he like, pushes minorities down. But that's his view. Yep. The NFL's view is very similar because it's a bunch of white men in rooms making decisions about a bunch of black athletes. Granted, there's more black athletes in the NFL than there are in the WWE. Yeah. But the fact remains, like, well, why do we have all these players and none of them are fit to be head coaches? None of them? Seven teams. I mean, it's it's weird because I, I like Brian Dayball. So, personally, I would have picked him over Brian Flores. But when you look through his track record, I liked him because of what he did on offense, his ability to build a QB. Everything in Buffalo, I thought was done right to put a young quarterback in right. position to succeed. I can say it's been done better by Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. Right. If not better... Very equal. But the enemy built a quarterback who has a championship ring. Yes. So I'm going to say better. And he's been to the conference championship, just like Patrick Mahomes, four straight years. So as great as Brian Dable is, and I think he is, great offensive mind, Eric Bieniemy is equal. He can't even get a final interview. No. This year. Last year he got a couple finals, but not hired anywhere. He is a Coordinator stuck in the coordinator's role. Look, why? Let's take this a step further. What did we just have happen this year? Shit with John Gruden. Oh, yeah. With the leaked emails. And, and it's like, but, but what they did is they was like, all right, Gruden, you got to go because you put our business on Front Street. But guess what? It's still your business. Because <laughs> Gruden wasn't sending one-way emails. No, he wasn't talking to himself. Like, there were anyway. other people involved in these conversations. It's like a chain. It's it, like CC'd you. So it's like when this happens and the NFL turns around and says, these claims are without merit. No, no, no. There is merit because we're looking. Let's just look at the stats to suggest that a black head coach, that a black person can't be a head coach of an NFL team. Seven teams without one black head coach is crazy. Yeah. Brian Flores had a winning record in a team that really had no business winning. 
No, by no means. Like that roster's pretty bad. The roster's bad. Tua it ain't it yet. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I mean, throwing five yard passes ain't gonna get you very far. You Jimmy Garoppolo at this. Point. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more mobile, a little bit, right? But he succeeded with that team. He brought that team up. It's easy to be a front runner and fall apart because it happens to a lot of NFL teams. Yep. But when you stink and then you start winning games, that should be applauded. Yep. Right? To not quit on a coach. That's something. Right. Because look, my Niners, Kyle Shanahan, we stunk and then we started winning. You yep. should be applauded for that. We got to the NFC Championship with a pretty shitty quarterback. Well, a pretty average quarterback. I'm sure it'll get him another extension. Of course, he's going to land somewhere because he's he's been to the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship th- two out of the last three years. Yeah, like Shanahan. Because I remember last year, you guys stunk again. Yes. Got a good draft pick. We, I mean, you know, we're uh, a decent draft pick and then traded stuff for your yeah. quarterback of the future. We were obliterated by injuries last year. Kyle Shanahan, after this run, he'll be your head coach for another decade. Probably, unless he can just live off. Unless he continues to fail with double-digit leads in the fourth quarter in important games. But I mean, it's they're not going to fire him in NFC Championship no. failing, right? No. Like he he's shown that he can take a team no matter how bad you think they are, and then build them and everything. Brian Flores doesn't even get that chance. No, exactly. Out. There is no second chances for black quarterbacks, black head coaches. As soon as a black quarterback fails, oh, it's a wrap. Like Lamar Jackson, perfect example. Lamar Jackson showed up. It's like, he can't throw. Then he shows you he can throw. And then people are like, oh, he's in the MVP conversation. As soon as he started messing up for Baltimore, we're not, he's not who we thought we, he was. Yeah. No, you know who's not who you thought he was? Carson Wentz. Yeah. <laughs> he still got a job. He still got a job. He couldn't even get his goddamn team to the Super Bowl. People love Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill still has a job. Lamar Jackson gets just same place as Ryan Tannehill does. Exactly. But... The lease is a lot shorter, but the lease is a lot shorter. Why? It's, it's because you have white ownership who is doing it. Because if you incentivize them, imagine how quick they're going to get fired. Imagine how many head coaches will get hired and be like, ah, you're out of here. Yeah. Take the pick and then. Yeah, take the pick. Two years later, he's out. It's like tanking in the NBA. Now we're just yeah. tanking with a, a coach. Oh, coach. <laughs> it's like, oh, added pick. we cool. want you to lose. So it's like when That's I. That's the other part of real quick. Oh, yes. Yeah. The Brian Flores conversation is he said the Dolphins asked him to purposely lose. Yes. And incentivize losing. We'll give you $100,000 per loss. And he kept winning. They were upset. Theoretically, they won, I, I believe they won eight. They won eight of the last nine. I believe this. As a, as a team. At one point, they won seven straight. Yes. They won eight of the last nine. If he loses those games just for a better draft pick, he has now cost himself $800,000 under the table. Right. But you say whatever you want about how much head coaches get paid and everything else and blah, blah, blah. That's a lot of money to leave on tape. He cost himself $800,000 when up top they're telling you to lose. Outside of pro wrestling, <laughs> because, I mean, that's booked. There's no other sport, combat, regular, where you should be told to lose. No, never. This is a bigger problem for the NFL. Well, here, like, let's take that one a step further. Brian Flores takes him up on the offer, starts losing. This is like, now you're ruining it for future black coaches. Now they say you can't even win. Yeah. Even though you could, but you took the money to fail. Now, every black coach behind you, the ownership's looking at him and is like, well, Flores couldn't get it done. 
Yeah. These other coaches can't get it done either. And they're asking him to lose when they're just going to fire him if he does lose. Exactly. And it helps them and doesn't help you at all. Right. So now you took a little, you took short-term money for a long-term effect. So it's like the Flores situation is indicative of an entire league that has a history of problems up top with diversity. But I don't hear people necessarily complaining about that, which is weird today. Because bringing it back to combat sports, everyone to this day thinks Tyron Woodley took a dive for the money. Right. When he's like, no, I got caught with a good punch. Yo, look, oh, how could a black fighter put over a white fighter? Like, oh, no, no way Jake Paul could beat him. He put over Jake Paul, you're a sellout, Tyron Woodley, all this stuff. But Brian Flores says, yo, no speculation. This is really what's happening here. They want the black head coach to put over the white owners. Oh, well, whatever. Should have took the money. Really? So Tyron should have took money to take a dive. No, no, no. That's just, what? You got to make up your mind. That's why I say you got to make up your mind what you're fighting for when it comes to diversity. Uchiwali is at one mic. And we have a a league that has this problem and it bleeds into other sports because, like, it's Black History Month. This is what kicked off Black History Month. Oh, (laughs) and as you can see today, I'm shout out to Our Heroes Rock. By the way, the poster for Black History Month is incredible. Yeah, Johnny Johnny did it again. Was a ghost uh, uh, guest on our show today, wearing my '68 Olympics Black Panther. Captain America and Iron Man, right? And people have been giving me funny looks, right? You know. That's a good that's a good shirt. So Water. as I'm wearing it, I'm thinking, right? Black superheroes. We'll just talk about diversity. Black superheroes never defend America. This motherfucker had to come to a made-up place called Wakanda. Yeah. Become a superhero. Very true. So he, it's like this, him standing on the podium is a little bit more significant because it's like... Recently got miles. Yeah, we read, but recently. It took so long, right? Very long. But people are like, why, why is this important? Like, why would you do that? Like, because <laughs> he's a hero. Yeah. He's Black Panther, but... Blade? He wasn't... Blade was from New York. It, it took... How many years did it take for them to even consider Captain America to be a black man? Oh, not even Captain America. Yeah, that's what... Like, oh, yeah. the heroes of America are white men. Yeah, I personally don't even like... Uh... The Falcon dude is Captain America. But, I mean, it's growing on me. I mean, serious. But it took so long to get to this point, right? So it's like head coaches, right? It's like, for years, we're good enough to defend other countries. You can defend Wakanda all you want. You come to America? Mm Mm-mm. Don't do that. Don't wear your blackness. Yeah, again, and a lot of that is what you said. So a lot of people, especially the past couple days, but in general, They'll say like, oh, that's racist. They'll call someone a racist. Like, oh, these owners are racist. The owners would then come back and say, I'm not racist. I got black friends. I employ black people. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not racist. Everyone isn't a racist. I'll give it to some owners. I'll give it. To, some people are racist. But yeah. let's, let's put that out there too. Everyone's not, not racist. Double negative. Great usage. But not everyone is racist. But people's lens are off. They are skewed. Some people are ignorantly blind to these dynamics. So when you look at comic books, it's like, yeah, Iron Man's not black, Captain America's not black, but it wasn't a problem. It was their lens of Jack Kirby, of, you know, everyone else drawing. I'm trying to do like illustrated because I I guess, I don't know if the writers like really cared if they were white, black. I'm not sure. But, like, the illustrators in comic books is like, oh, you give me this character, 
I'm just going to draw like a white guy. Like my whole neighborhood is white. Like this guy just looks like my friend. So you tell me to draw the Hulk, I'm going to draw him looking like the buff dude I knew in high school. Maybe there's no black people now. So it's like you're not racist for drawing the Hulk white because he's going to end up green anyway. You could make the Hulk whatever you want. Right. Or the thing, whatever you want. The guy's going to be orange. But it's one of those things. It's like you just draw the people around you. That's still a problem because your lens is very singular. And as we grow, we ha- no longer have an excuse. Back then, telephones is pretty much your best connection to the outside world. Right. So if you don't have a connection of like outside of your block, outside of your city, outside of your neighborhood, you're going to draw what's comfortable. And the stories you know how to tell is what you're going to tell. Now, the internet's removed all excuses. We know damn near everything about every edge of the world. Right. We should be able to tell these different narratives or at least understand that they exist. Pro wrestling's the same. Vince McMahon having that perception of stereotypes and everything, if you want to give him an excuse. In the 80s, black exploitation. There was like um, the depictions of Asians and Asian Americans, Native Americans. Shit, listen, I work for Disney. I've seen the catalog. 70s and 80s, stuff was different. Yeah. Okay, if that's what Vince grew up on, if that was his lens, if he didn't know anything else in life, and this is what he depicted, and this is how he put people, there's no excuse for doing that in 2020. No. 2021, 2022, there's no, no excuse for NXT 2.0 to look how it does. Like, no, every Asian, even though I like this change, does not have to be an anime character like they made Saray. Or do you wear an Asian schoolgirl out? You know, they, people don't have to play into stereotypes like the um, other Asian chick who's actually a decent wrestler, now, but she's um, on the roster. She's sleepy all the time and lazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you don't have to be like a lazy teenager. Like, yeah, she looks young. Granted, that's a blessing. A lot of Asian women like look really young. Cool. You don't have to pigeonhole that or depict that. Like people have in-depth character traits and their lens is still very narrow because it's an audience of one and his lens is narrow. He never stepped outside a gorilla. Right. The world's going on around him. He, I read an article that said he, he didn't know how to buy a, a gallon of milk. No, he doesn't know how much it costs. Why would he? Yeah, like he doesn't know how to shop for himself. Like he, he can't do things like that. He has no clue outside of his bubble. So his lens never changed. And Vince could be like, I love him. Okay, I'm not racist. Maybe not. Maybe you are. Maybe you're not. I, I, I don't know Vince McMahon. But if he's not racist, that's cool. You're now willfully ignorant. Yeah. Because there's a ton of people who are bringing this to you. Say, yo, there's a world out there that has changed since 1980, 1975. And you just refuse to put time into finding. Yeah. Uh, the one last thing before we move on is the concept of tradition in America. Tradition. Uh, I'm doing a piece on for black history on the culture of change in sports because it's not just the athletes that play sports. It is the culture of sports. Everything that breaks tradition is originally frowned upon and then is eventually embraced. Allen Iverson wore cornrows and tattoos. Yeah. The league said, nah, (laughs) implemented a whole ass dress code because of what Allen Iverson brought to the, the table. The baggy velour suits were getting a bit out of hand. 
They were. But no, yeah, you're, but you're agree. <laughs> you look today, how many NBA players don't have a tattoo? You count them on like very, one very hand. Few. Yeah, very few. Cornrows, everybody had cornrows. Yeah. Now people got the the locks. Right. The first cele- the first touchdown celebration was by Homer Jones in 1968 as a black man who ran to the end zone and they were they were fining players for throwing the ball in the stands. And he was like, oh, I don't want to get that fine. He spiked it. That was the first touchdown celebration. Years later, the league tried to be the no-fun league because it broke tradition for players celebrating the end zone. Now, the whole team runs the end zone when they get a pick. Takes a takes Tired a picture. defense. Everybody. <laughs> it's, all, it's breaking tradition. It's always once frowned upon. It's always embraced. But it always seems like we're the ones breaking tradition. Baseball. Hitting a long home run. Shout out to my Dominican brothers, though, who... Kings of the back, back just throwing flip. the ball, just throwing the bat everywhere. I love a good bat flip, but they say that's breaking tradition. Oh, the unwritten rules and shit. Yes, Baseball, tradition. Baseball's arguably the worst. Yeah, tradition. In the NBA, dunking was originally banned from the league. Yeah, because it broke tradition. You know what tradition really is? White views, old white views of America, and how sports are supposed to be played. Because they can do those things, and they see things that black players could do that they couldn't. They go, that's breaking tradition because we can't do that. Mm-hmm. I can't dunk like Dr. J. I can't dunk like Vince Carter. But then eventually it's embraced. Now the whole league loves slam dunks. The whole league's like crossovers. The whole league likes no-look passes. Well, a lot of that comes with when you, I don't want to say make something taboo, but when you show someone that something can happen and then now, not just black athletes are doing it. Like, white athletes can do it and all this stuff. Like, that starts in, like, little league and middle school football and basketball and everything. So, like, white kids are just windmilling it now. Like, then it's yes. like, oh, no, okay, it's cool. Like, so everyone can then do it. White man can't jump was a movie for a reason. Yes. Right? Because it was like, oh, my God, this guy can dunk. And, yeah, of course he can dunk. He just, his dad probably just told him, no, we don't dunk. But that, that's, and then he saw like black people do it. He's like, I didn't do that too. But that's my point. Tradition is an old view of what the values of sports are. But when kids are young, they don't see color. Yeah. Because then you have to be taught that you're different. They just see what's cool. They just see what's cool. Little white kids, little Asian kids, little black kids, they all play basketball. Yep. They see their favorite player doing a dunk. The little white kid says, I want to do that too. Jason I saw, Williams. I saw a little white kid do the gritty the other day. Crushed it. <laughs> Jason Williams came to the league. Nasty crossover, everything elbow pass, yeah. Just but it broke tradition. Traditions have always been created, just like the Constitution. A bunch of old white men in a room that made a decision what America was because that's what it looked like to them. So, to bring this full circle, the NFL, their tradition is white owners, white head coaches. We had to break it down. Quarterbacks, that's tradition, white quarterbacks, because quarterbacks aren't supposed to run. Of course, Cordell Stewart, if, uh, if Cordell Stewart would have came into the league 10 years later, 20 years later, Slash would have blown the league up. If Michael Vick had RPOs in the offenses they have today, he'd be the greatest quarterback alive. Right, but that's what I'm saying. But like, lie. But think about it. Cordell I've, Stewart. Cordell Stewart came in. They tried to make him a receiver yeah, before he played, co- played under center in Pittsburgh. Charlie Ward went to the Knicks. He was completely unconventional. My man not, <laughs> not traditional. Yeah. They called it not traditional be- until they accepted it. Now you look at Josh Allen. Yep. That's what Cordell Stewart was doing. Yeah. Yep. Over almost 30 years ago. 25 years. But now, every, regardless how you look, color, every, 
everyone's athletic. Right. Everyone can run. It's because, like, the white kids are like, no, you're on the same token. You're a pocket quarterback. You never tried to run. And it was just like, why? So as the older white men in guard kind of get flushed out, yeah, we lose. We start breaking down walls of those traditions. The question becomes, how long does that take until it hits the higher levels? Well, it takes a long time. So when can... We, I mean, I think the younger head coaches now in the NFL or a lot of the assistants are minorities. Right. Now, there's women coaching now. There's, there's an, a push for that, but that comes with another generation. It's now becoming that those generations have to hold those same morals when you get to the top. And you know the problem with that is what we just learned? The 2016 election showed us that we did not make as much progress as we thought we did when Trump became president. When, when Kaepernick was blackballed from the league, the, the, the work ain't done. As the late Kobe said, job's not finished. And a lot of us act like the job is finished. And now Brian Flores brings this to our attention and people go, but a lot of people already knew this. Yep. These coaches, now you got to bring it to light. You have to change tradition. It has to be changed internally and diversity has to take place up top. So, Going back to all the way back to your question, incentivizing, it's not how you fix the problem. There needs to be more black owners. They, somebody needs to take a stand and say, I'm going to hire some more black coaches. But then you have to have these old, traditional white owners willing to sell to a black owner. Very Because you're very difficult to get offers. Yes. Puff put in an offer for uh, oh, Panthers. No, nobody wants Puff. Puffy, no. Sean Combs to own an NFL team? No. That's- you think them old white men want Sean Combs? Because immediately they'll think he's going to turn to a concert. Yeah. But he could be a very competent owner. Let's just say he was. Jordan could be an owner. He's safe. Jordan is safe. He wears dad jeans. He's, but he's also a terrible GM. Horrible. But the great Horrible. minds need to be into positions to succeed. Incentivizing is a Band-Aid. It doesn't fix the problem. It it. It could be something that we see more black head coaches and maybe they get a chance to prove themselves. But forcing teams to do this because they get something in return, it's easy to do that. I'll sell my slave for $100,000. Cool. What do I get in return? Oh, you're incentivizing me for me to get more slaves? Sure, thanks. And then I'll just get rid of them, put them back in the plantation. It doesn't fix the problem, but there's a huge problem. And until, I mean, it's going to take years. Like, we think we're close to changing the NFL. We think we're close. We're not. We still got a, a lot of work to do to see black ownership, black coaches. We just normalize black quarterbacks, which is insane. So if you look at that dynamic, how long until you we even reach that hope in combat sports? Because now, I mean, UFC aside, right? Because that's Dana, that's private, whatever. Let's talk about boxing. Name a black promoter that isn't Don King. I mean, look what Don King was. Exploitive. And he, yeah, and he was just a shyster to get this. I mean, he's still here. No, he is. He promoted right. a fight last week. And what is he doing? Still waving, waving American flag. Like, he does it in sleep. <laughs> but, black, but Don King ain't for um, black people. Like, he'll say, he'll scream racism in one yeah. sentence to say America's the greatest country in another. And it's just like, what are you doing, Don? He's, he's here to sell fights. Al Heyman, one of the most influential people in boxing. Doesn't have a promoter's license. No. <laughs> you know why? I mean, th- think about this. 
You think Al Heyman and PBC would be as successful as it is today if Al Heyman ever showed his face? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. The more that Al is not seen, because there are pe- there are still people to this day. Look, I just watched a Different World episode this morning. And in this episode, uh, uh, I believe Dwayne Wayne said he asked a bunch of white students who Malcolm X was. And it was like the 10th king of England, <laughs> right? Which is... That's funny. It's funny, but it's like people just, they don't know. Yeah. So you ask a bunch of white students, who, what color is Al Heyman? 75% of them are going to tell you he's white. They've never seen him before. Yeah. It's just an assumption is that because he's an owner, a promoter, he's not black. An advisor. If you put his <laughs> face sure. on television, yeah. now you put a face that people can dislike. It's a weird thing. So I'm always against, like, I had a friend who wanted to put his face on clothes. And I was like, don't put your face because if people don't like your face, your clothes aren't going to sell no matter what you think. No matter how great the design are, if I say, that motherfucker's ugly, I ain't buying it. America has, has always thought, in a way, that certain black people are ugly when it comes to certain sports. And if you put Al Heyman's face out there, people probably rail against it. It's a weird thing, but Al Heyman is one of the most successful people. But the hard part is, I don't know what he looks like. No. But again, not having... It's just weird to not have a promoter's license then, right? Because you you have... Oh, that's a complicated conversation with Al. Yeah, like it's... I, you really got to ask him. About it. It's hard as hell to get... Oh, You're never going to get a straight answer because no, he's managed to do this without... A promoter's license. Yes. But then you look at the blueprint that you're now setting and it's not up to him again to be a role model necessarily, but... no. You're, you're setting a blueprint where now we have Jay Prince who's like, I don't got to be a promoter either. No. I can be an advisor, but I have a full stable of fighters. Why aren't you just a promoter? Because it's, it's, it's it only takes like two or three because Oscar De La Hoya doesn't have the largest stable in the world. And he partners with television networks as well. Yeah. But as a promoter. Yes. So why isn't a black man a promoter? I mean, look, look, top rank is white as white can be. Ain't no black people in the upper echelon of top rank. Nah. I mean, not a matchmaker, not a Todd DeBuff, not Bob Arum, none of them. Nah. I mean, Golden Boy, Golden Boy, Oscar De La Hoya, Eric Gomez. You have Bernard there, which Bernard should be able to step out and speak more for Oscar, even though, you know, he allowed Bernard Hopkins to speak in any press conference. We'll be here for a year. But they don't, they're just not main events. There's just not any black promoters. And that's the challenge of it is like, how do you change the face of it? Floyd Mayweather. Oh, black promoter. Has done a lot. But it's like, it's hard for people to accept him as a promoter still. Yeah. I mean, because he's still doing exhibitions and like weird shit. It's just, it's the puffy thing. You yeah. want me all dancing in your videos? videos yeah. Come to death row. It's like, that's the puffy thing with, with Floyd. Maybe as Floyd gets older... Maybe he'll phase out of being in the limelight. But the weird thing is, is does he really have to? Or is that what tradition thinks a promoter's supposed to be? But there, that's true. There's no reason for Jay Prince, for example, to not be Eddie Hearn right now. No, if he want, but he's got money. Yeah, but Eddie Hearn's got a long like No, Eddie Hearn got long <laughs> money. But still, you got enough money to get the fighters in the US that you want to get. Eddie Hearn's daddy was also in like the TV business, so they yes. have different connections. Yes. But it's not like Jay Prince don't got connections. Got 25 it's hard. years of connections. Dame Dash tried to do this. 
it they, failed. We, we had a, what, Rock Nation box. Yeah, and like, it failed. You got to get the right fighters. It's just like convincing black athletes to go to HBCUs. Because hmm. it's, it's like, oh, just join Floyd's stable. Nah, maybe I'll go to the top rank because they have more legacy. But if everybody went to the black promoter, you could change the game. There's so many levels to this that, it's, again, it's just not, it's not just up top, even though up top has to change. But when it comes to, like, even with the UFC, they just put out a press release. We're going to celebrate Black History Month with our black fighters. Like, hooray. What are you going to do for the rest of the 11 months? Oh, they're not doing, um, what's his face this year? They're not going to do Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler? But, but, but the thing Great. is, is that it's very surface level when you celebrate on Black History Month, Black History. When you have black yeah. athletes and black stories that need to be told all year long. Correct. You, I don't know why you're waiting until this one month, which is the shortest month of the year. And I don't want to be like Kanye. Kanye said, this is Black Future. This is, we're celebrating Black Future Month. You know how many motherfuckers don't know history? And you over here talking about future? future? Yeah. Stop. We, the only way you can change is by understanding your past. And Kanye, you don't know the past. What are you talking about? Makes up sense. But you want to celebrate Black Future. Do, yes, but we need to take... People need to get an understanding of what Black history even is. Because there are people who don't know who Whitney Young is or Julian Bond. It's like, if they don't know Black history, what are you talking about Black Future? There's people actively campaigning to stop the teaching. Yes. Of black history. It's like in schools. And you like, know what you're talking about? Because it's not American history, quote unquote. Yeah. Like what? And it's crazy because at the end of the day, black culture is American culture. Yeah. Black history is American history. Like you should be teach these things in class because it's part of this country's history. This American history is not just white. It's about that lens. Right. And that's and that's going to be the problem across all the sports is until you understand that breaking tradition is breaking the white conservative, rich person's view of minorities and athletes, you're never going to break this structure down. And fortunately, we do have young people, young white people, who understand this and want to see change and they want to learn about other cultures. They want to do these things. They grow up in mixed cultures with mixed friends. And So you when, know, when you ask how long it's going to be, I, I don't know if, there, if, if the change where we see a 50-50 split in ownership in the NFL or promoters is going to happen in my lifetime. And that's a scary thing. That's another 40, 50 years we still may not see yeah. an even divide or even a majority. Because if the majority of black athletes are, are playing the sports, you would, think. you would think it would translate no. And that's why my favorite book, one of my favorite books, Charles Rowland's $40 million slave. There's so many people that hate it. It's like, how are you slave for $40 million? Because if you're making $40 million and the owner is making $40 billion, you're a slave. You're not, you're not making the same amount of money. You're doing things like you're never going to reach his level. You're always going to be on this level, which is the athlete level. And then when you phase out and you got CTE and you kill yourself like Junior Seau or you, you struggle with mental health and all these other things while this other person's getting rich and you're disposable, because ain't no, nobody getting rid of the Giants. No. The Dallas Cowboys are an institution. Yep. But Tony Romo, Troy Eggman, Michael Irvin, Emmitt Smith, they're cool. Future endeavor. <laughs> they all can go. Yeah. Patrick Ewan was the captain of the Knicks. It was like, ah, we're tired of you. A man got no knees. Go play for the Magic and the Sonics, and that's where you'll retire. But the Knicks will always be an institution. And we'll always talk about James Dolan. Yeah. Right? There's the, who, who, who is the Knicks? Like, if you name a black athlete for the Knicks, who is it? Right now? Yeah. I don't know. They, Historically. Oh, and um, Patrick Ewing. And he didn't even retire there. Yeah. No, I mean, Pat was the face of the Knicks. But, I mean, and that's... That's... All you get. Like the Yankees. Who's, who's uh, the athlete the face of the Yankees? Aaron Judge. 
historically? The Cavs. Oh, historically, Babe Ruth. Historically. But by, whoever by, you say. Yeah, Derek Jeter. The Yankees. My, my favorite. There, there is no, I mean, Reggie Jackson was Mr. October. Was. But there is no face of the Yankees. It's the Yankees. Oh, yeah, the brand. The Yankees the cap, bigger than any athletes ever paid for them. Unless you ask Hove. No, maybe. <laughs> maybe the Yankees have more famous than the Yankee can, baby. Just, I'm just saying, until you break down those institutions that are constructed to hire and fire and own athletes and players, regardless of their background, you're never going to see an actual systemic change. It's going to take much longer than that. We spend a lot of time in this conversation. I mean, listen, this is what we do, right? It's a nuanced conversation. This is, <laughs> this is uh, and I know people, it's weird. Like, if we have new listeners and stuff, they're like, yo, these guys are crazy. Like, I didn't come here for this. Came here for, like, boxing and wrestling and MMA. And uh, welcome. If you guys didn't know, because this is what we do. We don't just talk hip-hop. We don't just talk random, you know, me can't dress or brunch and all this stuff. Like, yeah. when it's time to get busy, we get busy. And we love having these conversations. But now it's time to go to break. Because when we come back, we have to talk boxing. And this might trickle into that conversation a little bit. We got to talk boxing, some of the big fights that have been announced recently. And then also talk about this weekend's pay-per-view fight. It's still so funny saying that. That's disrespectful. Keith Thurman versus Mario Barrios on Showtime. So don't go anywhere. Be right back after this. Hey, everyone. It's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show. Fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, we are back. Time to talk boxing right now. Matter of fact, while we're recording this, Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor are having their press conference in New York City. Their fight April 30th at MSG. Biggest fight in women's history? Yes. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of... Then Layla and uh, yeah. what's her face but if if like then like this is a paradigm shift right Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor are two of the best women boxers in the world yeah hands down outside of Clarissa Shields fighting uh in a highly anticipated fight that is going to net them both the seven figures uh in their fight purse which is the biggest fight purse between mm-hmm. with two fighters yeah on both sides um and I talked to Clarissa Shields about this and she was like you know can't hate on it. Let, them, let the women cook because that's bigger for women's boxing in general. If we make the idea that there's a super fight in women's boxing is one thing. The idea that there's a super fight and then there's other fighters who still exist around that. Yeah. Right. Alicia Baumgarner and Michaela Mayer and Clarissa Shields and French on uh, Desern Cruz who's going to fight on the undercard. On the card. It's undisputed fight. Undisputed. Yes. Yeah. Like, this is a paradigm shift for the sport. Like, this is the biggest fight in women's boxing history because Katie Taylor, what people in America don't necessarily know about Katie Taylor like that, but when globally, when we post about Katie Taylor, it does better than most men. She's a star. Yeah. She's a huge star. And credit to Jake Paul, once again, y'all can keep hating on Jake Paul all you want, but he's put Amanda Serrano in position 
yep. for a fight that wasn't going to happen. It was falling apart. It was supposed to happen two years ago and it started falling apart. But now Jake Paul's built up Amanda Serrano to the point where, yeah, she deserves a seven-figure deal. Yep. It's huge. This is a huge, He's huge not fight. bad for boxing. No, I mean, I wish people I've, stopped saying it. I've seen, like, honestly, especially as a promoter on his fight cards, he's not a world champion. He doesn't try to be. No. He goes out there, he fights when he wants to fight. And outside of that, he puts other people in position to then show what they got, whether you capitalize off it or not. Serrano's like, I'm going to capitalize off it. He's not, he might have a future more so as a promoter and his ability to pay fighters, generate enough interest to get that money, to pay them correctly. This, this might be the start of like that next promoter in boxing. It's because right now, is he any worse than Oscar De La Hoya? Like, no. as a promoter? No. No, like the kid's doing all right for himself. And he has a new way and a new age type of following. Yes. That can prove to sell some pay-per-views or whatever you got to do, build enough star power. I can't hate on the kid. No, and now now we have a man around on Katie Taylor fighting for seven-figure purses in a massive fight, and then it just sets people up to watch want to watch more women's boxing. Yep. And, and that's what you need to do. It can't be a one-off, right? It's not going to be one thing and they just move on. Because Clarissa Shields fights uh, Emma Cozen this weekend yep. overseas, and you know what she's doing. She's trying to prep that audience because she wants to beat Savannah Marshall's ass. Yep, which Savannah we- Marshall just signed her fight for March 12th. Puts them on pace for like June. They fight each other. And it's funny as a quick aside, me and Clarissa had, she was just like, she's like, have you ever like beat somebody at Monopoly like 20 years ago? And then you just kind of hang on to that shit as your only claim. Like, she was like, that's like Savannah Marshall. Like, yep. she's hung on to beating me as a teenager. She's like, I'm an adult. I'm going to beat your ass because that's all you think about. I'm not the same person that I once was. But women's boxing is now being viewed through a lens like, oh, these women can fight. Other thing is, Clarissa brought this up. I asked her, I was like, what's going on with three-minute rounds? Do you think this is the year that the commissions will change? She was like, well, the issue is, she's like, I don't think they're going to change because I think commissions are just now realizing that women's boxing isn't a hobby. It's a lifestyle, which means that we have the nutritionist. Like, we're not not, uh, Christy Martin, right? The coal miner's daughter. It was like, yeah, she trained, but there was like really nobody else that was fighting full-time until now. Katie Taylor, she don't have a job. No, Serrano, she don't have a job, right? We're changing that dynamic. And when you change that dynamic, and maybe the commissioners will realize like, oh, wait, they're taking this seriously. They're training full time. So maybe we'll give them three-minute rounds. But what she wanted, she was like, I want championship rounds. Yeah, she told me the same. She wants rounds 11 and 12. Yeah, she's like, forget them three minutes. I want championship rounds. So it's like, if this fight happens and does as well as we think it's going to do, which I think it'll do significant numbers, it changes women's boxing. I think over the next three to five years, like, there's going to be a lot of women making seven-figure purses. This past week on ESPN, um, Mike Rothstein, shout out to Mike, who really has his pulse, his finger on the pulse of women's boxing. He truly enjoys it. Like, he's a beat writer for the Falcons, and he's like, I want to follow and, like, cover women's boxing. He does a great job for us. And uh, he put together, like, the next eight superstars of women's boxing and, and showed, like, the true depth. It's like, none of these women could be on our pound-for-pound list, and they couldn't hold more than two belts. Right. And, like, he found eight more where you're like, yeah, that's a really good list. So it's like the depth is there. Yeah. These women are people. It's, and then I follow, like, some amateur accounts um, for, like, amateur boxers and everything. The women that are coming, 
these young girls, 14, 15, 16, rising through the ranks, problem. Women's boxing in the next 10 years, 10 years from now, is going to be incredible. I'm going to harken back on to what incredible. I said. I'm going to harken back on what I said. You know what women's boxing is doing? Breaking tradition. Yep. Because those old white promoters were like, your space is in the kitchen. Get in there and cook. Now they're beating your ass. And for a while, you're sitting there going, and I'm going to get to this Bob Aaron quote in a minute. For a while, you're saying, ah, they're not fit to fight. Yep. And you're going to do your best to push them down. But they deserve the spotlight. They deserve those opportunities. The UFC has done a good job with this, and MMA in particular, because it was before it was UFC was Strike Force and Bellator and yep. WEC. <laughs> right. Whatever. It was like Pride Never Die. <laughs> but women's MMA is because the UFC and MMA was just new. Yep. So it was easier to bring women in. There wasn't a tradition of mixed martial arts. It was a tradition of boxing where people was like, I don't want to watch women beat each other up. And those old views didn't want to pay them. And they was like, nobody wants to watch women fighting. We're going to give them two-minute rounds. We're going to do all this stuff. But now it's like, there's Shields, two-time Olympic gold medalist, two-division undisputed champion. Got Sinicia Estrada, who beat up that mom. Mom. Unfortunate. (laughs) Wow. But you you got super bad. You got Serrano. You've got Katie Taylor. Now you have all these women. Yet and still, somebody like Bob Aaron was like, nobody wants to watch women's boxing. If you put it in front of us, we do. Just like you just, like women's MMA, the best fight on top rank last year. I'm not going to touch Bob's comments, whatever. Bob says whatever Bob wants. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's cool. But I can say, outside of Fury Wilder, the best fight top rank put on last year was Michaela Mayer. Right. That fight was incredible. It was 10 rounds of nonstop slugging in action. Incredible fight. My women's fight of the year. If, for any reason, our awards combined, right. then it probably would have finished second to me. That fight was that good. And she's on top rank. Granted, top rank only has one woman. So that means a problem. Whatever. But in terms of her wanting to fight whoever's out there and all this, like, she proves it sells. She main evented and delivered. So there's nothing else to say. Like, even in top rank, that's just not the truth. It's just not. Top rank understands who Michaela Mayer is. They just need more Michaela Mayer. But that, that's breaking tradition. <laughs> you got to get more than one woman's fighter. Just like you need more than one black head coach in the NFL. Because yep. then you'll soon realize, oh, there's a lot of women that can fight. And people want to see this. Take your old. It's like it's like old people that hated on rap music. Yep. It's like I don't want to hear that. That's that's rap is crap. Yeah, rap is crap. I, my music from this era, blah. No man, shit changes. You got to give the opportunity for people to flourish. And now Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor probably gonna, probably sell out the garden. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. You know, and, and it'll be and if the fight is great, bunch of Puerto Ricans, a uh, bunch of Irish, they're gonna be fights what? all over the arena. <laughs> I love it. But this is what you boxing needs. It is so different than when, when Layla Ali fight because she was the only one. Yep. And Christy Martin because she was the only one. And then like when Lucia Riker and Ann Wolf fought, nobody wanted to fight them. No. Nobody wanted to touch Ann Wolf and Lucia Riker because they were so heavy-handed. Ann Wolf still has the best women's boxing highlight of all oh, time. Oh, God. She just murdered people. Yeah. But nobody wanted to fight them. She beat the brakes off of that tall woman. But now you wouldn't have Clarissa Shields say, I'm not fighting Ann Wolf. Clarissa, bring that. I yep. want that. I want a piece of that. Right? Like, if anybody's seen the Christy Martin, um, I believe it's called Untold on Netflix, that yep. it's like you watch, it's sad. It's a very sad, sad thing. But 
you see, like, man, she didn't even have the resources like other women. Like, she was beating up women that were training, like, part-time. Yep. Because there was nobody there. Now these women are training full-time. It's a big fight. People should support it. I need Bob to shut up. Yep. Yes, Valdez and Stevenson is a huge fight. Shout out to Shakuros. Like, I hope they stagger the time. Yeah, the, and I was like, I want boxing fans to see both. And, and uh, Joe Markowski, who was the president of The Zone, who I worked with, uh, tweeted and was like, I think we can make that happen. And I think it's the smartest thing to do. Do Let's not do put those two fights against each other. No, especially with Katie being on the East Coast. That can go a little earlier. It's, it's fine. Because find a way. Yeah. Like, there's no problem. You don't have to keep people up to 1 a.m. on the East Coast. No. <laughs> don't like, do that to them. put the main event on at 11. So it's the co-main, you know, yeah. during Shakur. And then you let Shakur rock from 11 to 12, whatever. You and, know, and, hopefully, and hopefully Bob is smart. And the network is smart. And they say, we'll wait for Taylor Serrano to end. Just like they would do the NBA playoffs if they were on. Yep. We'll wait for this game to end to start to have our walk. Dude, let those, let those women cook. Let those women, they deserve that opportunity. Don't, I need Bob to shut up. This is the bigger fight. I don't care. Don't split the audience like that. Yeah, I mean, it might, it probably is the bigger fight. Historically, maybe not. Um, Because, I mean, again, this is the biggest fight in women's history. So, historically, yeah. the other one's the bigger fight. But on that night, sure. Like, if I had to only choose one to watch on a night, maybe I'm probably watching Shakur Valdez. We just don't need to make I'll be here in pick. Vegas. Yeah. yeah, but there, there's no reason to shut down the other one. Where The one thing people will realize, and I think this is pro wrestling, this is boxing, MMA to a certain extent, is that we're not on a box TV anymore. We're not with rabbit ears. Right? Like, we don't use antennas to get stuff. Right. People can watch multiple things at the same time. Well, if they really want to. That's, that's a you thing. You really enjoy watching multiple things. Yeah, but even then, other people have their iPads open well, yeah, while their no. TV is up yeah. or their laptop. Yeah. Like, not everybody got to have the three TV set up. I'm aiming for five, people. I'm aiming for five. When I move in May, I'll let y'all know. I'll tweet out the picture. If I got enough space on the wall. Because before, I could have fit, but then... Dre hooked it up with 82-inch TV. So it limits some of the space. Yeah. But I might end up with five. But everyone at this point could watch things simultaneously. Yeah. The Zone's on everything. So ESPN Plus is on everything. So whichever one they want to have on the phone, whichever one they want to have on the TV, that's their choice. You're going to get the clicks anyway. You're going to get the streams anyway. You're no longer in a position where you have to battle these other networks. Right. You don't have to put anyone down. Just prop up your, your fight because people will then tune in. And the more boxing on one night, the better. Oh, yeah. Because it dominates the narrative in sports, especially coming off the NFL draft. You know, people will be super draft hungry and everything else. If the narrative on Saturday after that weekend, after everyone's team draft their players and they love them, and they hate them, whatever, if I'm crying because my Giants did something stupid or I'm crying tears of joy and running down Las Vegas Boulevard like an idiot – because we drafted two offensive linemen and I love my life. However it goes, that Saturday night should be dominated completely on both coasts and now internationally because of Katie Taylor by boxing. Yep. You're hitting all three areas perfect. Yep. Should be the biggest night in boxing all year. So hopefully it turns out that way. Um, outside of that, Tyson Fury, Dillian White, went to first bid. <laughs> I love Yo. it. Shout out to Queensberry Promotions. Woo. I'm not asking where they got the money. So it's, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of money. So Tyson's getting what thirty two. Yeah, and Dillian's getting eight eight seven point nine nine five. Dillian White, eight million. WBC interim champion, eight million. 
still five, four times more than the entire UFC 270 card. Tyson Fury got paid four times more than Right. <laughs> For a mandatory defense. But I'm just saying, like, people, like, we're still having this fighter pay conversation. The fact that Dillian White is one fighter who's the clear B side, still made more money than the entire UFC 270 card, is nuts. My man got knocked out clean a year ago. Yeah, he got, I mean, he got smoked, smoked by an uppercut. By Pavekin, got smoked by Anthony Joshua, and he's still getting $8 million. And I mean, the funny thing is, he hasn't signed the contract because he wants more. Yeah, he's not getting more. <laughs> like, I mean, it went to relax. Burst, it, like It's like, hey, man, relax. Yeah, he still hasn't signed. Whatever. Some people are just a little greedy. Yeah, at this point, it's like, I don't know what more he wants. I mean, you fight for the zone. It's not like you were going to get pay-per-view points there, right? No, like You get some, this guy sports because, you know, but. Yeah, in the UK and all that. Cool. Whatever. But like. Don't now just come over here and want pay-per-view points because, like, it's on ESPN. Like, sit down. Ain't nobody paying for you. <laughs> Ain't no one here to see you, <laughs> Otis. Sit your ass down. $8 million. Eight good million. for him. Uh, Tyson Fury is going to probably beat the brakes off because Dillian White. Tyson Fury's working hard. He looks good again. Dillian White hasn't looked great. No, he beat up on an old man after COVID this past time. Yeah, and I rematch mean. rematch for his You know, he, the Povetkin fight, I mean, you know, Joshua sent him to hell. Yeah. Povetkin caught him sleeping at the wheel. He comes back, he wins. But Dillian West got to tighten up his body. Um, his midsection is getting real flabby. He doesn't yeah. look great. When, I, when, when he fought in Saudi Arabia on the undercard of the, the Joshua Ruiz rematch, I was looking at him. I was like, damn, man, what you been doing? Got a little bigger. He's slimmed down a little bit since then. You got to get it together because you're facing a Tyson Fury who moves like any, no other heavyweight that he's fought. Not even close. And he's added a completely different dynamic to his game. Yeah, it's... It's going to be tough slam. It's, like, it's you're not going to walk down this version of Tyson Fury. Hell no. So, so the best thing that Sugar Hill has taught him or maybe unlocked, maybe Fury knew it the whole time but didn't know, is that, my man, you're bigger than everyone. Like, sometimes it's okay to bully people. Beat him up. So he's going to come into this fight against Dillian White. And Dillian White's not small. No. He's going to make Dillian White look like a middleweight. He gonna, he's going to ring. beat up Dillian White. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's training now and... Every time I see him in the ring, his uh, primary training partner is um, Parker, mm-hmm. Joseph Parker. And Parker's not small. Face Anthony Joshua, everything, 6'3", 220, good-sized dude. It looks like Canelo in there with Oscar Valdez. Hey, fair. fair. He's just a big man. And he's starting to, like, he's on that running program every day now. Um, everyone knows, like, during the, during the Wilder camp he suffered an injury to his elbow right and then um you know the whole thing with his daughter and icu and everything couldn't train maybe how he could have earlier in the summer when they were supposed to fight right um last july when he looked in great shape and he had no shirt on and he was just rocking the blazer to the press conference and belly out so now he's getting back into that shape and then that's man tyson fury with a full gas tank both arms dillian white's in for it so get as much money as you can. Yeah, because this it. might be it. This, this might be the end of the road. But eight million go. Eight million ain't nothing to sneeze. At. Nah, nah. Anyway, so that's the other fight being announced um, this weekend. Have the pay per view fight. <laughs> no, seventy five dollars. Yeah, they listen. You remember that time? And this is a complete indictment on PBC right now. Remember that time PBC was like, "We're bringing boxing to network television." Yeah, and they put fights on Fox. Fox. This, why isn't this fight's on network television? I don't know what Keith happened. Thurman, Keith Thurman, coming off a loss, hasn't fought in two years. 
Mario Barrios got his brains knocked in by Javante Davis coming off a loss, making a de- debut. He at a pretty new- good early in that fight. Making a debut at a new weight class. Yeah. It's completely different size individuals. Seven know. pounds, a long way. It ain't even five, like yeah. the lower weight. Seven, seven's a long way. To go. These two men are coming off of losses. Leo Santa Cruz is fighting somebody who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Right? Uh, Luis no Lear. fault of his own, right? Because that's like a late opponent? Not really. It, or they, they threw him in there because he wants to cut back down to 126. Yeah. Said, yo, let me fight at 130. You're trying to get my, my wheels Wait, back. Yeah. Luis Neary's on this card. This is a really good Fox card. Yes. It would be. $75 to watch two people coming off a loss? Listen, I ain't paying $75. I'll be in the building. It's funny, though. Meanwhile. You going? The, yeah, bro. Oh, sweet. Meanwhile, the UFC is like, yeah, we got two guys coming off of losses, too. <laughs> Kobe yeah. Covington and Masvidal. What is going on here? I don't. I don't want to pay all that money for that. I mean, that's a different realm of two losses. It's completely a different realm. <laughs> the UFC is they they promote their fighters differently. Right? Yeah, it's just it's just a different thing. Losses don't aren't the end of the world. Keith Thurman's coming off a loss and two and a half years of inactivity. Like, so the fight itself shouldn't be a pay per view. Um, it's interesting because Keith Thurman's coming off a two year layoff, and they keep calling him one time. I ain't seen one time in half a decade. <laughs> I'm and I'm dead serious. It's but been eight times since you've seen one time. Could have lost to Sean Porter. Yeah. Very narrow decision. Could have lost to Danny Garcia. Won a split decision. Got hurt by Jose Cito Lopez. Yep. Right? And then he lost to Manny Pacquiao. That's, this is a five years of, of Keith Thurman not looking great. No. Now he's fighting Mario Barrios, who he's, you got to show me something. Because five years ago, what was the fight that everybody wanted that he told people, you're going to have to wait two years to see that fight? Errol Spence. Errol Spence. Yeah. If Keith would have shut the fuck up and fought Errol Spence back then, he'd be a lot richer. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. But now, like, but everybody, I mean, he did land the Pacquiao fight, which look, put a little money in his pocket. You got the Pacquiao fight, but you lost. Yeah. You're not the Keith Thurman. You're not one time. You're not, like, get Michelob Ultra Arena. I, I expect a lot of black. Oh, yeah. I expect a lot of spots to be taped off. This pay-per-view is not going to do well. But you have to win this fight because if you ever want to fight Spence, or Ugas. You got to look or, impressive. You can't just win. You can't Smaller guys who just win. got knocked out by a guy smaller than him. Right. You can't just win. No. He's got a lot. on. Like, that's the intrigue for me of this fight. I need to see how Keith looks. Because that man hasn't looked good in five years. Like, granted, yes, anybody who beats Sean Porter or Danny Garcia, you say they're, they're good. But this isn't... Errol Spence, aside from the car accident, like, when he fought a guy who came up in weight, granted, Mikey Garcia came up two weight classes, pitched the fucking shutout. Yeah, so what? Same same diff. You know, but he pitched, yeah. the, he pitched a shutout against a pound-for-pound pound guy in Mikey Garcia. Mario Barrios has never even fought like a really credible opponent, except oh. for Javante. Yeah, and that didn't end well. I got to see how Keith looks. If he wants any chance at a Spence fight, now he's on the other side of all of this. Because your food to Terrence Crawford, Spence is like, well, I got to fight you for you. You ain't even got nothing. No. Sean's retired. Danny's still talking about going to 54. The next thing, like, Keith, if you don't look good, you know what's next for you? Boots beating your Boots, ass. Yep. <laughs> you better get it together. Yeah, you get fed to the youngins. He's in that spot. It's like if you don't look good and you can't garner, you know, a Terrence Crawford matchup. Because, again, this is early enough in the year where Crawford can sit back. And if you put this on pay-per-view, Crawford versus him is definitely on pay-per-view. Yes. Whatever you may think, like, it draws. and be Like, Crawford's not a draw, like, it's going to be on pay-per-view. So if he could win this one, maybe that sets him up for a June fight against maybe. Terrence Crawford. 
As long as Terrence out here, like, I need $30 million. Like, sit your ass down somewhere. Nah, he ain't. But, <laughs> no, you, you say, like, yo, I'll fight on pay-per-view. And then I want to Spence fight. The winner is Spence Ugas. After. And it's like, you know, him versus... That, that's a great four-pack or two-pack of fights if you're PBC. Yeah. And you just sign Terrence to a two-fight deal. We'll do this. You win. Then... You fight the winner of that. If you lose for any reason, you got to fight Boots. <laughs> I don't know. If you lose to Keith Thurman. The loser of that fights Boots. Yeah, How about that? Just like, I, I want to be somebody. Man. That's it. So it's, it's going to be interesting. A lot is on the table in terms of Keith Thurman. If Keith Thurman loses, one, I don't know if he fights. I'm talking about him fighting Boots. I, I don't know. Yo, he, he's had bouts of inactivity, injuries. He might retire every, like Sean did. Every time he comes off of a loss in his next fight, he doesn't look great. Like, he got hurt against Luis Colazo with a body shot. Yeah. He got hurt against Lopez. He got rocked against Josecito Lopez, who's now, he was supposed to be on this card. He's no longer on this card. Oh, man, Pacquiao put him down. Right, early. Because Keith has these long bouts with, with time off and inactivity, he had to get his timing. Like, he looked fine down the stretch. Yeah. There's some first five or six rounds where Keith is trying to figure out who he is. Now he's going in here with Barrios, who's going to have, still have a three-inch height advantage. So it's like, you can't mess around and win like a majority decision or a 115-113 decision. You got to put Barrios out. The other thing that could happen, Keith doesn't look great, and Javante was like, I'll take that fight. It's not a bad fight. I'll fight you at 47. Fuck it. That's crazy. Javante stops him. That's the, cra- that's the crazy thing. <laughs> the fact that fight. we're talking about somebody who's fought as low as 130, who fight at, just fought at 140, if Keith Thurman doesn't look great, there is a path where you go, well, Keith, if it's not going to be Boots, we're going to put you on Tank's resume. Yeah. You're getting stopped by somebody. Yeah, and Keith's got a great chin, but, man, he's going to have to look good in this fight. He's got a lot on the line. Yeah. Barrios is just playing with house money. He's like, I just got the fight. If I, if I, win- if I look good, at worst, I'm an opponent. Like, if I look good. If I win, I'm a player. Now the argument is I've been killing myself to make 140 all these years. Yep. I'm in my right, right weight class. Now I get a big fight at 47. Well, then he might get boots. Yeah, but if he loses, he's just an opponent. And then he, then he gets boots, right? Or, I mean, technically, he won a pay-per-view fight. So then he can get Terrence if you want to give him Terrence for Terrence. There's a lot of fight. things you can do if Barrios yeah, yeah. wins this fight. But if Barrios loses, it just looks good while losing. He's an opponent, and that's fine. He'll, he'll be the B-side of a boots or somebody else to get, and he'll get paid to do so. He's playing with house money. Keith is playing with his career. Yeah. This could set his career on fire and burn it down. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be quite the weekend out here in Vegas, NHL all-star game. Then this fight, NFL pro bowl packed weekend out. Super Super packed. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So let's take a break, come back, give our quick predictions for UFC light card this weekend. But we'll talk about it before we get out of here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. 
All right, everyone, we are back just to talk UFC real quick before we bounce out of here. Just get ready for the weekend. Dre, I just found out this fight card was happening. But I'm glad. Nobody cares. I'm glad it's a during-the-day fight card, which is, like, super smart by them because it's like, all right, I don't have to wait all night, and it doesn't have to conflict with boxing. Good timing by them. Yeah, I mean. It comes on right after the Pro Bowl on ESPN. Yeah, I mean, good luck. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, it's just some fights. I, I'm not particularly thrilled about this fight card. Yeah, I'm trying to see who's even on here. All we could smiling all we, Sam Alvey. Yeah, probably gonna lose. Um, Rachmanov. It's uh, it's not a, it's not a great card. Maximov, but a bunch of mobs. Like we just had the Khabib Eagle FC card, which was all right. Um, Yo. We did have the Habib. Yes, we did. Like Shot like, Evans won. I know. Went back to his roots. Started wrestling again. Yeah. A lot of wrestlers, they forget. It was Habib like, was like, you wrestle. Yeah. Smash. Yeah. Like, that's what you do. Like, <laughs> a lot of wrestlers fall in love with their striking until the striking doesn't love them anymore. And then they forget. Like, oh, if I wrestle, I could probably win this fight. And that's what Shot Evans did. He had a low-key Bellator card, too. Ryan but, Bader won. But really, like, the only thing that's worth talking about is Jack Hermanson versus Sean Strickland. Because... Like, Alexis Davis fights, like, super early on this card. Uh, Soriano's in the co-main. Like, there is... This is gonna. This is a tough sell for yeah. people to watch. So, let's really just talk about Hermanson and Sean Strickland in the main event. Sean Strickland has been in the news because he just says wild stuff during interviews. <laughs> yeah. The man's a maniac. Yeah. Um, but... And he's been waiting to really have this, like, next step up fight. Um, you're supposed to fight Luke Rockhold last year. Got cancer. So, Sean Strickland is in this position that reminds me of Colby Covington. Mm. When Colby started saying crazy stuff, he was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yep. And then he just kept winning and kept winning and he kept winning. And then he'd be like Dos Anjos and you're like, all right, he's a player. I feel like Sean Strickland's in that exact same spot. And I think he beats Jack Hermanson because the UFC is looking at it like, we might have an accidental attraction on our hands. Yep. So, and Jack Hermanson is a great fighter. But I think Sean Strickland just, I think he just came off of beating Uriah Hall. Yep. Uh, who else did he beat? No, and then he was supposed to fight Rockhold for the yeah. star-making performance, and then Rockhold pulled out. And then now we're here again. So you got, I have to look, because I don't even remember. Jack Hermanson lost to, oh, he lost to Victoria. He got grounded. He got knocked out by Cannon Air, and he beat Shabazian. Ooh. It's a tough fight. Yeah. But I think Strickland has all the momentum. Uh, five fight winning streak, uh, crazy media conversations, and the UFC kind of needs some new blood moving up into the top of the upper crust of the middleweight division. Lost to Usman, yeah. Well, Everyone lost. Everybody lost. Kamaru. But uh, twenty seventeen, yeah. At least it was by decision. That was wrestling Kamaru back then. Oh man, wrestling Kamaru. When people were like he was boring, I was like, yes, he was. Yes, but unbeatable. Could not wrestle him. That's what I'm saying. Kamar Usman could become Rashad Evans if he falls in love with his striking and then one day he starts getting knocked down. He's like, what's going on? Yep. Go back to your wrestling. wrestling. Go back. But that being said, I'm picking Sean Strickland to win. I'm going to pick him to stop Hermanson in like the second round. Yeah, I love disagreeing. But I'm going to agree here. I think he stops him. Kananir was able to stop him. Kananir's got bazookas for hands in this weight class. though. Yeah. I mean, any, any weight class he's been in. <laughs> he's been yeah. in like four of them. 
But still, yeah, you're you're right. There's dynamite in his hands. And it's not like Hermansen gets stopped a lot. No. But that shows the caliber you are. And Strickland has to show that. So the people to knock him out was Cannoneer and before then Tiago Santos. Yeah. So he gets knocked out and stopped by people that are legit title contenders. So now Sean Strickland, it's your time to show your legit title contender. You just can't beat him. No 25 minutes. You got to get him out of there. Yeah. And I think um, Strickland does. I think Manson, it's a good fight early, but give me Strickland third round, TKO. And then, like you said, it sets him up because the best part of this division or in this kind of area is that both champs need fresh blood. Exactly. And they're running through contenders. And rematches at this point to the point where the UFC got to go down to number six or seven to find a guy they haven't beat handedly. Yes. So if you look good, two fights, you could be right in the picture. Might be fighting Izzy. That's it. Real quick. So, I mean, I I like the way it goes. This is a real big showcase for him. Um, I think Sean Strickland takes advantage of that. Yeah. Outside of that, that's that's our weekend, man. It's going to be be busy. uh, Quick question. Do you think... Are you buying what Dana said about not putting the title around Francis and Ghana? Am I buying it? Something happened backstage. That's no. I mean, I think stuff backstage can wait. Personally. Like, if it has to, there's, there's other people in the building. I've seen operations run that go there before stuff reaches Dana level. But again, I don't know what it was. So you're telling me an incident reached Dana level? The only time I can remember that is when uh, Ariel broke the news and he had to snatch Ariel's credential off his neck. Like he was Debo snatching a chain. Yeah. So, I mean, that was Dana level. And he missed, like, putting the belt on a champion or something that night because he was wilding out on Ariel for breaking Brock Lesnar. I think. Um, So, yeah, I know. I don't see anything that big happening. Like no one threw a dolly through anything. So no, I, I think he didn't want to do it, which if reports are true that they alerted Francis's team to a lawsuit against them and having contact with Jake Paul and you know, all the and Jake Paul's team beforehand. Yeah, maybe it's just messy if you're suing the guy to then put the belt on him, you know? Maybe that's not productive for your lawsuit. So you can't be out there in the ring putting the belt around the man. I, I I don't find anything wrong with that. I didn't think it was that big of a deal as much as people made it out to be. I'm, you don't got to like the people that you work for and you don't have to like the people you employ per se. He doesn't have to, as long as they get the belt. Now, if Francis didn't have a belt, like if they just ain't bring a belt to the ring, now we got a problem. Like if no one put the belt around Francis. And they were like, um, your contract is up um, technically. Because I think, he, you know, if you win and defend your belt, it adds like another thing or yes, something. They extend it. Yeah, semantics. We could cut you if we wanted to right now or we don't know where you're going to fight or whatever. So uh, we're not even bringing the belt out. Like, congrats, good win. That'd be like shitty and like really poignant. Dana doesn't want to put a belt on someone? Cool, I don't care. Like, when did that become a mandatory thing and Dana White's duties as UFC president. When he started doing it. This is his fault. <laughs> he set a precedent. Sure, yes, but. you set it. But listen, you set a precedent 
of you putting the title around the champion. You have a heavyweight title fight with somebody who's been very vocal about his displeasure with the promotion that he fights for. Yeah. Not only do you not show up for the, to put the title around him, you don't come to the post-fight press conference, which is a Dana White thing that he set a precedence for because he shows up to everyone that he's at. Very rare does he miss a press conference. I guess that goes into the excuse of something happened backstage. What yes, could man. possibly happen backstage that nobody knows about? Um, I don't know. These are crazy times, right? So I, I, I don't. Like, that's one thing. I, If I had to give people benefit of doubt during these times, I'll give it to them. Because it seems like there's a lot of family shit going on. I'm not lot, Like, you don't know. I don't know who calls what. Somebody grandmammy. God forbid, could have caught the COVID or like someone's doing not well and you got to bounce. I, I've had to do a lot of shit this week due to like family illnesses and people around me and family and all this stuff where I just got to duck out for a second and come back. I, I don't know. That's his excuse. And he had to run backstage, take a call or he's handling some family shit or something. I don't, then he has a legit excuse. I don't, I don't know. But even then, without, with or without the excuse, I don't think it's mandatory. It's not why he, we cut the check. Francis won. You got the belt. Go get your knee surgery. And come back and fight the interim champ. Uh, shout out to DC, who says what we're all thinking. France is out nine months with an ACL repair and MCL repair. Ten months. And let's go. Let's get on it. International Fight Week. John Jones, Steve Bay. There's your headline. We got to pay him first. You have to pay John. I mean. I mean, he's not going to do this for like $500,000. No, he's not. I mean, that's not what they paid him. But John also now like probably wants like five mil. Yeah. Seven mil. Yeah. Almost like some Lesnar type shit. Yes. Um, no, I think they just bled John out. <laughs> like, yo, your money's going to run out sooner or later. Lawyers and legal fees cost dough. So, sooner or later, you got to come back to us. I think this might be the sooner rather than later. I, I don't know. This It's the fight to make. Beotris and John Jones is absolutely the fight. And you can always lowball Stipe. Well, yeah. Unless... Because he don't got the belt. But if, if Stipe goes, no. Do you fight... Anyone can fight John. Yeah, the Black Beast will fight so, John. Anyway, it, like, there's it people who will fight John. It becomes a conversation back to about fighters pay because this will be a headlining fight yep. at UFC, whatever the number that is. 74? Five. I don't know. Yeah. But that's, that's a headlining fight. John's going to ask for his money. Yep. And Stipe shouldn't sit there and be like, I'm going to go work as a fireman. No, you were the former champion that everybody forgot about. It's a huge fight. So you should ask for a lot of money too. If they give him just one mil, take it or leave it. It's tough, man, because it's like that fight is going to generate money. Yeah. The weirdest conversation about UFC 270 is people kept asking me, well, how much did it generate? I guarantee you it generated more than $1.8 million just in pay-per-view wise. So why, I don't know why people use that as an argument. Even if it's sold, let's say, and these are just numbers off the top of my head, no inside information. If it's sold on the lower end of UFC pay-per-views, it was probably like four hundred. So 400000 we sell these on ESPN for 70 bucks. Yes. So you're you're getting a good amount of money. That and that's not including gate. That's not including no. sponsorship. Like, dog, you just signed a 175 million crypto deal. Yeah. So that's 10. That's four mil. Four hundred thousand. If you just do a hundred thousand paper, four hundred thousand pay-per-view buys for ten dollars gives you four mil right there. So then multiply that times seven. I'm not a mathematician. But now we're getting at $28 million. Just off, this is just one of them. And now, because people go, well, they got a staff to pay for. Ain't nobody making a million dollars at the UFC except for Dana White. So, like, <laughs> all the, like, Dave and, and all of them, 
they're not making a bunch of money. Yes, you got to staff these fights, but big deal. You have the money to pay these fighters. Yeah. So you pay him that salary once, like a calendar. Right. John's going to look. John's going to look at you. Think he's not looking at Fury and how much he's making? Is like, oh, I don't need thirty million, but I should be getting Dillian White money. I mean, technically, you sell four hundred thousand pay per views. That's twenty eight million dollars in revenue. But I'm saying, so, so I like, can't. I can't get five million. Yeah, I don't. At some point, the fighters also got to say, stop with these the like non discretionary. The, the, pay me my money. Yep. I don't want to hear about what I might get later. Pay me my money. Transparency is key. So John Jones, Steve Amiosh is, is if that's the fight to make, pay those guys. But if they don't want the money, it's going to be very interesting yeah. what they do instead. Because sooner or later, a bunch of fighters are going to have to John make John might stand. have to take four. Steve might have to take two. And what, roll the dice on pay-per-view. Bro. Whatever it is. The next question is, does Francis Ngannou fight in the UFC next year? Next year? I, I don't think he fights again until January. Yeah, I don't think he fights again this year. No. Because the recovery, recovery he's not... Yeah. But he hasn't does, even had the surgery. But does he fight in the UFC, or is he boxing, or is he doing something no, else? Fight in UFC. I'm very curious to see how this all plays um, out. They will use him as champion still to propel whoever is champion. Well, so the base champion, you get the third trilogy, and then you count on Stebe winning. They'd be like, "Yo, your contract's done. Peace, go box." But you're going off a loss. If John is champion, and you feed him the John. Make all that revenue. What if you feed him to Johnny? Nice John out. Then he's still champion with the belt and his contract is. But he wants the money. So this, here's the problem. So then don't fight. Francis Ngannou, the, the biggest problem. You ain't going to box. The biggest problem with Francis Ngannou is what he doesn't realize, what his team doesn't realize. The UFC's got more money than you. So when it comes to litigation and going to court, it's going to cost you money. And eventually you're going to run out of money because the UFC don't pay you any money. Yeah. And it's like, I, I want Francis to fight. I don't want him to fight for pennies, but he may be back into a corner here. Because he's not, he hasn't made life-changing money. It's not like when Connor fought Floyd, and Connor was like, I don't ever fight. I don't need to fight again. I'm done. Ever. 100 mil sitting. Francis wants that money. And if there's a way, I don't know how you would do it because it'd be tampering, it's a whole lot of stuff. If Francis could fight Tyson Fury and make $10 million, then he can go back and be like, I ain't never fighting for y'all again. Yeah. But he's not in that position. No, because he he's his, still under contract. He put his cards on the table, possibly too soon. Hands down. Before the contract is up, you put your cards on the table, said, I want to box, or else I'm not extending my, I'm not resigning. They get my contract. You see, he's like, all right. You see what we did to John? John's the best fighter that we have. The easiest way for the UFC to do it, if that's the hangup, right, with Francis, is, okay, you can box when you're not champion. Yeah. So you have to defend your title. Just put it in the contract. You got to defend your title two more times. If you're still champion after that and want to vacate the title, you can vacate and go box. And then you make sure those two fights mean something. So if it's John and he knocks him out, you give him John again in a rematch. Or like you, you, you plan those two to be really big earners. And then, yo, if you still want to box after this, you win twice. So you knock out John twice. And it's not a fluke. You knock out John Jones twice, and you're still the man. Go box. We got our money from you, and we'll co-promote a 38-year-old at this point heavyweight champion. We'll co-promote you and Fury. And you go get ten, but we gonna get two two point five off of that. It, it's it's messy. I, I'm just interested in seeing how this plays out. This saga is far from over, um, and then we'll see how this July fight shakes out. But that's. Forget the Strickland fight. I, I want to talk about Francis Ngannou. <laughs> and Contract money. 
Nah, yeah. So uh, we'll see how everything plays out in the UFC. They have a pay per view coming up as well. Israel Adesanya. I think headlines in a couple. Robert weeks. Whitaker, yes, next week. Next week. So we'll be talking about Super that Bowl on our week. next show, next Wednesday. So that is going to be a fun one. We appreciate you guys for listening as always. In the meantime, follow us on social media at Corner Podcast underscore on Twitter, Corner Club for Life on Instagram, Corner Podcast on TikTok as well. We have a YouTube page now at Corner or just Corner Podcast on YouTube. Find us there. So much fun. Our videos will go up there every week. Now you guys can see us the whole time as well as listen to us. We appreciate you. Stay safe. Shout out to everyone at Blue Wire. Everyone here at Blue Wire Studios. Everyone in production. Yo, Antoine, I figured out. You actually made those beats for our intro. Well, those are stock beats. Antoine's really yes. the DJ premiere of the show. <laughs> like he's just back. I saw him. He bought like a beat machine the other day. Blew my mind. I was like, yo, Antoine's really leaving us for the big time. I was like, he's, he's just dropping beats, subtle hints. But uh, no, nah, it was amazing. Thank you. Thanks, everyone who put together the Corner Rumble. Um, everyone, like I said here at Blue Wire, if you guys are in town, busy weekend's coming up. We record Sundays and Wednesdays here at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas. In the meantime, though, stay safe, stay Rona free. Till Sunday, to recap all of this, we're out. Peace. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.